The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And today's title is Sustainable Health with the coronavirus and beyond, because we want to make sure we are super healthy right now, but we also want to make sure we have sustainable health. So we have Terry Cochran and she is with us and she has something that she calls the wild, I don't even know how to say it, the wilditarian movement. Am I saying that right? You said it very well. Okay, wilditarian movement. And so some of our topics include, are the healthy foods you're eating making you sick? And so welcome, Terry. Tell listeners a little bit about you and what got you into the wilditarian movement. Well, thank you for having me on your program. And um, hello to your listeners. And I'd love to share the story because we share a similar path in terms of what you do and what I used to do. The reason I got into this uh, world of bio individualized health and sustainable health is because I had, um, my first son was born slightly premature and by the age of three, we were told he would never be normal. He would live with brain seizures. He had life-threatening asthma and eczema. We were in the hospital a lot. And at the time I was working for um, Freddie Mac, and I was running one of their business units in the multifamily division. So I was a real estate expert on the lending side. And before that, I had been with Bank of America and Travelers in the Real Estate Investment Group. But um, suffice it to say, I had been not in the world of health and, and sustainable living. And what I found myself doing was going down the conventional methodologies of allergists and endocrinologists and pediatricians for my son. And no one could give me an answer other than let's give him more steroids, let's put him on more albuterol, let's give him more antibiotics. And by the age of five, my son was really going down a rabbit hole that I did not want to see. And um, he had the bone density of an 18-month-old when he was three. He wasn't walking very well. He wasn't talking very well. And in second grade, he had strep almost every month. I think I counted 11 times. And in fourth grade, his bleeding eczema was so bad. I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to wash the sheets because the eczema was so bad. So around that time, I decided, right around the time he turned five, I decided to start seeking out alternative practitioners. And I was able to find this phenomenal medical doctor that understood what is now known to be functional medicine, but she was a pioneer in that. And she helped me understand the body a little bit differently and from that, it helped me go into a deep research mode of why, why is my son's body reacting this way? And it was literally the foods we, I was feeding him, which I thought were healthy for him, were poison on his plate. So he was eating all the right, wrong foods, even though I had a wonderful help at home while I was with my career and I, his foods were made at home from scratch, they were still the wrong foods. And within five days of eliminating corn and peanuts and orange juice and gluten and dairy, he started breathing. And I said, wow, I'm really onto something. And uh, now he'll be 26. He's a wonderfully healthy young man who uh, they, they were right. He wasn't normal. He ended up winning a gold medal at the Junior Olympics in karate. He was the valediction speaker at his 
high school graduation. He was one of the scholars at a public Ivy here at University of Virginia. And he's living, he's living a very robust and healthy life. And actually last night we were talking about the virus because it does attack his lungs and or attacks our lungs, right? And the lungs were such a weak spot for him. And he said, Mom, I just have no, I'm so strong with my lungs right now. That's no longer something I have to really be concerned about as being high risk in this category. So, you know, that's the power of understanding your body and coming to uh, a full sustainable health profile as my son is living into now. So you said gluten, dairy, peanuts, and orange juice were kind of his triggers, or was there one more thing I missed? Uh, It was uh, 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 gluten, dairy, corn, peanuts. Corn, corn. So how did you come to figuring out that, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people say, you know, gluten and dairy, those are like kind of the big ones, right? Like everyone's like gluten, dairy, gluten, dairy. Um, but, or I haven't heard anyone, um, lately that I can think of that were like orange juice is a big one. So talk about how did you come to find out and peanuts is a pretty big one too, but how did you find out about the corn, orange juice and peanuts? So what was interesting for him is that what I found out that he had adrenal dysfunction, meaning that his, his, the adrenal glands are what secretes our natural corticosteroids. Those are our natural anti-inflammatory agents. And because he had born, been born slightly premature and because he'd been given so many steroids during early life and pretty much for the first 10 years of his life, his adrenals were really depleted. And when you can't bring down those um, inflammation points, anything that feeds sugar. So orange juice was two things. It was high sugar and it was high acid and acid really hurts eczema. Um, Eczema, I've now linked it to uh, a fungal sulfur uh, sensitivity. So he had a lot of candida and strep because the steroids, which are these massive corticosteroids, but it's basically a big sugar, was feeding other pathogens in his body. Um, therefore, that's why he had strep 11 times uh, and his, his insulin was really dysregulated. And corn contains mycotoxins and mycotoxins are fungal metabolites. And so through the, tra- through the growth and the transpor- uh, transportation system that we have in the United States of corn, not only is it genetically modified, so it's really not food anyway, but there are these fungal fungal elements that grow on the corn. And I call mycotoxins a fire starter for other pathogens. And so those mycotoxins were actually feeding the strep and candida, which he was already trying to fight in his body that was being really also pre-fire started from all the steroids he was given. So orange juice containing a lot of sugar and acid and acid is really bad for the skin when you have that eczema. And then corn being a mycotoxin They were both feeder systems for other pathogens, which then was contributing to his asthma because asthma is also linked to uh, sulfur and in a lot of cases, mold. And he had a really high, high um, pollen allergy. Now he has none. We're right in the middle of cherry blossom season. He's here with me in the DC area and he's not had a sniffle. So it's really interesting how asthma and eczema were linked in his case to mold, pathogenic loads, and sulfur impairment uh, processing. And so corn and peanuts, corn corn is uh, a, a mycotoxin. Peanut is an aflatoxin. I call it a mycotoxin on steroids. Not only is it a fungal metabolite, there's been 
there have been studies that, that the peanuts actually, the aflatoxin is a potential carcinogen. So it's just a bad boy um, all, 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 all across the board. I call, I call peanuts the devil on steroids. It's just not good for us. In, a, in an environment where we're already either eating too much sugar or making too much sugar from our stress response. Got it. So let's talk about your skin and eczema for just a second. Now, is he still gluten-free, dairy-free, peanut-free, orange-juice-free, and corn-free, or has he, has he passed all that now? So it's really interesting. And I, I, he was my, my first client, I say, in my first human experiment. <laughs> so I have, he's going to be 26 in a few months. So I've got a lot of years of um, uh, case study, if you will, uh, through empirical evidence uh, behind him. And what I will say is he really pretty much can eat almost whatever he wants. He chooses not to eat corn and peanuts. And especially what we do and what I teach clients in my practice is you eat counter seasonally. So for example, in high mold season, which is our fall, you're not going to eat high mold foods, right? So peanuts and corn and even mushrooms um, and pea protein can have a mycotoxic effects. The peas can have that can be one of those mycotoxins, but generally he can eat pretty much whatever he wants. He still has some sensitivities to almonds, and that's an oxalate, which also feeds mold. So mold is sort of his underlying, his underlying thing was mold and adrenal dysfunction and mold being driven by all those steroids he took almost daily for, for years to try to keep his lungs working. And so it was really, it was really important that he choose wisely. Now, what's so interesting, Chantel, is that he now is such a foodie and he's a phenomenal cook and chef and he just gravitates towards the foods that his body wants. Last night, he's home with me now as we're sort of in a, he was in New York City, so now he's here with me. Um, he made duck with mahogany rice and butternut squash. He's phenomenal. So part of the deal is he's staying with me. He gets to help me make meals. <laughs> and he chooses to be primarily plant-based, but he loves fish and wild game. So that's that's where he lives right now. But um, if he eats corn or he ate a peanut, it wouldn't it wouldn't bother him. Not not overtly bother him. I think over time it's not great. Hey guys, I have a free smoothie book that has over 20 recipes that are super unique, like broccoli bonanza, great green smoothie, and mojito madness, and so much more. They are really amazing and you're gonna love them. And the best part is it's totally free. So go to chantelrayway.com slash free recipe and you'll get the book and tons of other free recipes. Or just look in the show notes and click there. Okay, so let's talk about more about mold in your diet because I think that when you think of mold, now are you talking about some mold and yeast containing foods as well? Yes, and so, you know, we are, that's a great question. And so we are really tied to, hey, everybody, let's go eat fermented foods, let's go eat sprouted foods, um, you know, let's have brewer's yeast, and again, back to eating to your genetic blueprint and your current state of health, and are you eating the right, wrong foods? If you have a history of yeast infections for you women out there, or toenail fungus, or bumps on the back of your arms, or if you have eczema, or if you have dandruff, if you have acne, um, there, are certain, there are certain symptoms that are telltale signs for the body's inability to have a uh, a, a gut biome, which is the ecosystem in our gut, 
that is balanced. So if you have an overgrowth of candida or fungus or strep, eating fermented foods will feed the wrong bacteria. And so a lot of times people will come in and say, I've tried every, every probiotic and it's not working for me. I feel terrible on them. Well, two reasons for that. One is you could have a, a genetic polymorphisms, polymorphism called the FUT2 gene, which means you're not a great seeder of those probiotics. I'm one of those people. I don't take probiotics well. I don't do fermented foods well. Another gene you could have, you have the HLA gene, which is also tied to gluten sensitivity, but it's tied to mold. So if you're, if you have those genetic predispositions and you've had a history of what I've just mentioned, then mushrooms are no bueno that, you know, is, is deemed to be so, so healthy for us. And a lot of supplements carry mushrooms, pea protein, bad, bad, bad. I had, I had a co colleague of mine who's, you know, really, um, she's well-known in the industry and she kept, didn't understand why she was having such problems with her gut. It was the pea protein she was drinking every morning, mm -hmm. thinking that she was doing well by herself because she had a dysbiotic gut and that was a, a fire starter to the wrong bacteria. What I say, being bullies, becoming bullies in our own sandbox, which is our microbiome. Mm, I love that. Well, yeah, because we have a lot of listeners who put in questions about psoriasis and eczema. I have a problem myself still with psoriasis. It's it's just in a couple spots. I have it actually on my forehead and all over my scalp. So people like I'm, I've I've have people and I'm like, no, it's not dandruff, right? Like I just took a shower, I washed my hair, but I continually it's scalp psoriasis that just you know, continues that won't go away. And it's funny because I drink, I, I love fresh squeezed orange juice. And so I literally, I have like a fresh presser wow. and I, I do like, um, I don't do much, but like in my water, I have this special drink, which is like fresh squeezed orange, fresh squeezed lime, a little bit of grapefruit and fresh basil. And then I put it like basically, you know, three quarters water and then I put fresh chopped up basil in there and it's like this amazing drink. And now that you're saying that, maybe I should cut all of that orange juice out. You may want to. And again, I mean, that sounds delicious, first of all. And that's really cool. I love <laughs> that good, uh, you know, uh, being creative with fruits and uh, herbs. However, especially if you're taking it in the morning where it's... Um, you're having an empty stomach. It's both the acid. It does. It's just, it's not just the sugar from the orange juice, but then you have the acid of all those other citrus fruits. And even though lemon and lime leave what is called an alkaline ash in the body, meaning that eventually alkalizes you, if you have psoriasis or or eczema, it's going to be too going down. It's going to be too acid for the kidneys. And so we say with in my client base, and we have a naturopathic doctor in our practice too, is that. And I've taught her beyond the functional medicine model. I've taught her the Cochrane method. So she's trained in all those modalities is that when there is a skin reaction, whether it's psoriatic or um, eczema, stay away from that acid. And we, we had one client, this is no kidding. Her mom called me because she was in my neighborhood. This is many years ago when I was smaller and had a home office. She called me, she says, I have an emergency with my daughter, Gracie, she had such psoriasis, no kidding. She looked like a tree trunk, her entire trunk. It was so, so severe that nothing in prednisone was not making her, making her well at all. 
Uh, Gracie just got married uh, uh, just a couple of months ago and she's beautiful and her skin is beautiful now. Um, and she's still my client many years later. But what we were able to discern there was super fungal. And what was interesting, she had swallowed water at the beach that had what we then discerned was Giardia, a bacterial organism that just tripped her genetics. So again, she already had some pre-existing candida. She, she swallowed this organism. It tripped her sulfur processing genes. She was very sulfur sensitive. And then she was eating all this garlic and kale, which actually was also feeding the problem. So again, eating the right, wrong foods. And uh, we were able to bring her skin back into balance. And she was able to wear her wedding dress beautifully with the decolletage being beautiful and not having to worry about that really was really significant um, uh, sorry, psoriasis um, like I've almost never seen before. So let's talk about a little bit more of those mold and yeast containing foods. I would say the ones that I know of off the top of my head would be like cheese, buttermilk, sour cream, any kind of like peanuts, cashews, uh, walnuts, and like dried fruits are not good, correct? Correct. And like packaged, like packaged and smoked meats, like hot dogs or like turkey. Like I know for me, and this is just from trial and error. And, and here's the thing. So everyone kind of jokes me a little bit because I don't drink alcohol at all. Nothing. I don't drink any alcohol twice a year. I drink alcohol and everyone's like, yes, she's drinking. And the reason is, is because I just feel so terrible. Like I know what I feel terrible on. And so now that I'm thinking about it, you know, things like if I have, you know, any kind of, you know, turkey, you know, any smoked meats or um, bacon or mushrooms or any kind of alcohol or dried fruit. These things seem to kind of flare me up or dairy um, or peanuts. They kind of, I get worse, you know? Yep. So when- there's actually, there's actually a reason for that. So all of those dried, so the dried fruits, believe it or not, the dried fruits and the turkey, the the smoked, whatever are actually there's a, there's a thread there. There's a common thread and those are sulfites. So sulfur could be an underlying issue for you. Um, and also wine is very high in sulfites. Oh, I can't, I'm going to tell you right now, I couldn't, that's the whole thing is like, I can't drink wine. I just can't do it. I just know that I can't. So let's go ahead. Let's talk about some foods that that are okay. Like what about gluten-free grains like quinoa, millet, brown rice? Great question. So we have to look at where you are in the continuum of how moldy are you, you know? So, um, you know, I say, is, is there a fungus among us, right? Is there, are you so moldy that you can't eat any grain? Um, and also, do you have an oxalate metabolism impairment issue that would then maybe preclude you from eating quinoa? Because sulfur and oxalates play together because oxalates help build aspergillus, which is a mold. So oxalates and mold, they kind of tend to go together. And then sulfur goes to skin and, and, and asthma as well, impaired sulfur processing. So generally what I like to say is if you are if you're really, really sensitive to any kind of mold, anything that ferments, right? Anything that's going to be sprouted or fermented, you definitely don't want to do any sprouted foods. And we now know through the work of Dr. Stephanie Seneff out of MIT, she's linked, she's linked gluten in the United States to contributing to impaired sulfur processing, which can affect your skin. It's not just the protein. It's the fact that 
gluten, there, ergo wheat in the United States is, is liberally sp- sprayed with Roundup um, as, as, as part of its process, right, as an herbicide. And now the study showed that Roundup impairs the body's ability to manage sulfur. So when you're eating wheat, even if it's whole grain, it could be messing your sulfur a pathway up. So gluten, I, I really believe that gluten in the United States is more problematic because of the herbicide Roundup, which she has proven not only de- uh, interrupts sulfur processing, but it interrupts the body's ability to manage protein and gluten is a big protein. So what I would suggest is buckwheat, which is actually a seed and it's a complete protein that acts like a grain. That's a really good choice. Millet is also a really good choice because it's alkalizing. However, here's where we get into the bioindividuality. If you have a big grass allergy and we're in the middle of June in the mid-Atlantic where grass is sprouting everywhere, we tell people don't eat millet during that time. Eat it other times of the year. Generally, millet is well tolerated unless you, you don't have a grass allergy. Quinoa is also a complete protein. However, if you have a super high oxalate sensitivity, that may not be your best bet. So buckwheat and brown rice may be better. And again, I really like mahogany or black rice because the highest protein of all the rices, and it also has resveratrol. That's what's found in blueberries. And some studies show that black rice actually equals the resveratrol um, amount in blueberries. That's gonna be detoxifying to your liver. So if you're super, if you're super fungal, we say no grains for a little bit uh, because grains eventually will turn to sugar. We say no mushrooms, no peas, no peanuts. Um, mostly stay away from nuts because they tend to harbor mold like you suggested. Although we have some other ones like macadamia that are high in oleic acid, which is actually really good. And sunflowers, sunflower seeds are really high in sunflower lecithin which is super important for calming the nervous system because effectively when you're having a psoriatic or eczema response, that's also a nervous system response. It's nerve activation on the skin causing irritation. Hey guys, I want you to know what I've been doing for my health that is absolutely transforming it. I'm taking massive amounts of vitamin C. Now, it's not just the regular vitamin C. This is 100% natural and it only contains natural sources, whole foods like amla berry, camu camu berry, uh, cherry. So it's literally just ground up fruits and massive amounts and it delivers 750% of your daily recommended vitamin C. So I literally double it and I have just seen so many benefits. So go to ChantelRayWay.com slash vitamin C to get yours today. So let's talk about oxalates for people who don't know what that is. You know, oxalates are naturally found in foods, including fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. And it can be in things, things that are high in oxalates are peanuts, spinach, beets, chocolate, and sweet potatoes are kind of the ones that come off the top of my head. But what do you say to people that are just overwhelmed, right? They're like, okay, you know, my, I have skin issues. You know, a lot of people who are listening, because I think because I have skin issues, they gravitate to, to listening to the show. So we get tons of questions in about psoriasis. And one of the things that people say is like, they're just overwhelmed because it's like, okay, so you're going to tell me that, you know, I can't have spinach, I can't have beets, I can't have chocolate, I can't have sweet potatoes, you know, I can't have mushrooms. I mean, 
you know, I can't have dried fruit. I can't have dairy. I can't have gluten. It just gets to the point where you're like, okay, I'm just going to have the psoriasis and call it a day because it, it gets too overwhelming. Yes. What would you say to someone like that? So I know I felt that way before. Like people, like sometimes I'll literally just be like, all right, well, I'm eating whatever I want today. People will just deal with my psoriasis yeah. so, and just be okay with it. Great question. What I have to, what I tell my clients is just be patient and, and it, this is not your way of living and eating forever, just like it wasn't for my son. And typically we see significant shifts in the body within three weeks. We have our first follow-up with our clients a month later and we generally see significant positive shifts. And so because we're very bio-individual, bio we ninja you. We don't just say, okay, this is how all people with psoriasis um, blanket statement, this is what you're going to eat. No, we look to you. And so what I would suggest is, and, and one of the things that people consistently tell our practice is you give us hope and a real detailed actionable plan to move forward with our health. And I mean, I've even had one client tell me, and she actually texted me today, just really being kind as a, as a response to something I helped her with this weekend. She said, Terry, if you would tell me to jump off a building, I would, <laughs> because I knew it'd be good for me. And I know it's not forever, right? I mean, obviously that is a, a very, very uh, big metaphor. But the point is we give them hope and we give them a road plan and it's not forever because you can, we, you can be eating all the right foods. And if you eat one wrong food, it trips it up. And so for a short period we do, we go in. And so then we can go out as we heal and seal your gut. So I have a sulfur sensitivity. I have oxalate sensitivity. I say I have the trifecta of hell in my genes, right? <laughs> However, I'm not experiencing any of those symptoms. And I had, I had sweet potatoes yesterday. So, and it's an oxalate and I, I had duck and, and um, mahogany rice as my, um, I typically what I have for dinner, I have the next day. And so the point is just because we have the genes doesn't mean we have to express them. And we can give you in our, in our world and in our practice, we say, we tell you what you can eat, not just what you can't eat. So to your question, what kind of fruits do you have if you have a super high fungal issue, right? Well, fruits in general are going to be a, a lot of sugar, but papaya is really great because it's one, it's high in vitamin A, which is so important for the skin and for insulin. Because guess what, folks, if we have a mold issue and we have a sugar, it'll gonna, we, we're going to have a sugar handling issue too. So papaya is generally low in sugar and it's really, really high in vitamin A and vitamin K. And we want those vitamin A orange foods, except for orange, because orange is citrus and it's not, it doesn't have the vitamin A, it has vitamin C. Another one that's really good is watermelon. Why is watermelon so good? And people say, well, watermelon has so much sugar. Well, it only has eight grams of sugar per serving, first of all, plus it's highly alkalizing. So we want to look to foods that are alkalizing. Hmm. So papaya is alkalizing, watermelon's alkalizing. And then um, you, those you would start with, lemon, lime, and uh, grapefruit, citrus, we're saying if you have eczema or psoriasis, not now, doesn't mean not forever, but if you start eating those foods and then we have the berries that tend to be moderate in oxalate, but we find, myself included, I can do berries. I can't, I can't eat a blackberry smoothie every day because that has high oxalate, but I can eat strawberries and I can eat, um, I can eat raspberries and I can eat blueberries and, and um, also the um, cherries. And why is cherry so good? Again, highly alkalizing and antiviral and really high in vitamin C. It's a great form of vitamin C, mm. which is a way to get it without being super acid. And vitamin C is really important for, again, sugar handling and liver detoxification. 
So in terms of veggies, we say, guys, go to your squash friends, right? Um, and you, cilantro is amazing. And you can do greens. You can do your bib lettuce, your Boston lettuce, your lamb lettuce, your romaine lettuce. Just don't do the arugula and the kale. And then you can do asparagus and artichoke. You can still have a lot of greens. And then, you know, your zucchini, which is moderate oxalate, but the body really likes it. And all the squashes. And sweet potato, really interestingly enough, even though it's, it, it's an oxalate, because of its beta carotene qualities, this is what I call the hierarchy of needs, beta carotene wins. And so we find, myself included, and I eat a lot of sweet potato without any problem, um, that it's okay if you're not then also eating the mushrooms and the peanuts and the corn, which also then feed the mycotoxins. So it's, it's where that body balances. You know, and in terms of grain, we like buckwheat. Uh, oats tend to be oxalate rich. However, it, women that also are trying to pull hormones, um, we can eat those. So today what I had for breakfast is I had oatmeal with papaya and pear, which is also really alkalizing. Um, and I felt great and I felt very balanced in my sugar handling. And then in terms of meats, we like the fish because of the essential fatty acids that they offer, which are also super important for, for our skin and the shellfish, which is really rich in the minerals of selenium and zinc, which are also super important for uh, skin. In terms of dairy, not all dairy is created equal. And I will tell you, people have come to me and they, they say, I have a dairy sensitivity now. And our response is maybe. It depends. Some people actually can do okay on dairy, even if they have fungus. Now they're not going to do okay on milk or aged cheeses. I said, you know, if it smells, you got to get away because that means that there's mold there. But potentially a mozzarella or a feta, especially if it's sheep feta. So you're not doing the cow dairy, which has a bigger um, protein in some cases. Now, yogurt is not great because it's one, it's fermented and two, it's high histamine. And so we don't want to aggravate and agitate the body that's already agitated. And so it's those things like that that are really supportive and people walk away with a, a food plan. They walk away with menus. We give them recipes. We give them shopping lists and they end up being foodies because the average American, truth be told, will rotate about seven to 11 of the same meals over and over and over again. So we're not eating that diverse, diversely anyway. And what we teach you all to do is, wow, there's this whole bounty of foods that you've never tried and you're actually gonna be eating more diversely and um, gonna be great. A real example of that is I have a 14 a, a year old that's a client of mine. She came to me significantly impaired. She actually, instead of driving her to the emergency room and they live in New York City, they drove her to our practice. She was, she was having a scary situation. We were able to really resolve her. She was 12 at the time. She's now a little mini entrepreneur because she had candida. She had viruses. She had all these things. She's developed her own uh, Instagram. She's developing candida fighting recipes the wildatarian way. Um, she's just, she's now starting to sell her foods um, at, in co-ops uh, in the metro, you know, now not, not anymore because they're, they're under... Um, quarantine. But before then, she was really entrepreneuring what she had learned from me. And I'm talking about she was 12. She keeps wanting to work for me. And I said, not until you're legally, <laughs> you have to be 16 to work for me. But um, that's a real transformation of a 12 year old child can be so empowered, not only to heal her body, but start her own creative recipes. That says it all right there. That's not deprivation at all. That's total freedom. Yeah. You know, one thing you said that just triggered me a little bit was that 
I, I had someone do a study for me. They did a gut test. I think I did a stool test and all of that. And she said, the number one thing is I had massive mold in my gut. She's like, in your gut, you've got massive mold. And, and one thing you said that I thought about is several years back, I had hurt my knee so bad that I couldn't walk. I had an injury and they gave me a steroid shot on my knee. And I'm wondering if that steroid shot is what caused the mold in my gut. Is there any correlation there? Absolutely. You know, a steroid is a big, I call it a cupcake. It's a fat and a sugar. You know, it's a basically a sugar, but that helps bring down the inflammatory response. But over time, steroids have been linked to diabetes. It's been linked to macular degeneration. It's been linked to, to um, tissue degeneration. It's a bad boy. Now, in, sometimes we have to avail ourselves of steroids, but in my case, I, I had a spontaneous rupture to my knee and it was a, um, it was a medial meniscus tear. Luckily, I, don't, I didn't have surgery and I'm running, I'm, I run every day. So I've been able to build the muscles around it and I'm in better shape than I was when I had it 10 years ago. But they did give me a steroid shot and I will tell you, I was already postmenopausal and it induced a period it really messed me up. I had hot flashes because in that case, in, in my case, it hit my adrenals and it just threw all my hormones out of whack. Mm. And it took about, you know, the one steroid, it was one shot and it took about two months to get my body regulated again from that, that evil cupcake. That's funny. And the other thing that, that I've done recently is I've been eating a ton of papaya and some sour cherries. That's kind of been my go-to fruit lately. I had gone to Mexico a couple months ago and they had some papaya and it was amazing. And so I've kind of got on this papaya kick and I will tell you, it's really helped with my bowel movements and um, I've always kind of struggled with constipation, um, and that papaya has really helped. Any other tips to kind of get that gut moving yes. Uh, yes. that you have? Absolutely. So candida will make us constipated, and and the dirty little secret is Miralax, which they give to so many kids. It's tragic. It's based in oxalate, so these kids that are already potentially having an oxalate issue, they're being given oxalates to help them go to the bathroom. That's very bad. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that are really important for moving bowels is magnesium. Magnesium helps with motility and especially in the form of magnesium citrate. You hit it on the head when you said papaya, it's got papain. Papain is a natural digestive enzyme that helps move the bowel. Another thing that is really good for moving the bowel is if you don't have an otherwise um, slippery elm, helps move flaxseed. If you don't have an estrogen issue, helps with bowel movements. So there's many ways to move the bowel. Vitamin C, vitamin C, you can do it to bowel tolerance. Again, being mindful that too much vitamin C can can hit increase oxalate, but two two grams or less is a good is a good state um, kind of a a good number daily to take. And that really helps with bowel movements. I have two vitamin C's that I recommend that I take and they are all whole food vitamin C. Wonderful. They're made with like dried, they're made with dried cherries and dried berries and everything else. And yeah, the acerola cherry is wonderful. As mm-hmm. Acerola cherry is super high in vitamin C. Yes. So vitamin C and magnesium really help with bowel movements. Water, of course, is super important. And we need electrolytes so we can, because it's not just about the, 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 the candida is really tricky, 
because it signals the brain saying, don't move your bowels because it interrupts dopamine, the dopamine channel, because effectively our bowel is like a big hose that has to be instructed to move, move, move. So there has to be neurotransmission that has to be uh, engaged so it moves. And because candida is so tricky, it affects the nervous system. And we have more nerves in our gut than we do in our brain. That's why the, the gut-brain axis has become such a big um, discussion topic of late. Mm. I want you to talk a little bit about autoimmune issues and thyroid. We have a lot of listeners that are constantly saying things like, you know, they're maybe try different thyroid medications. They're even doing the natural desiccated thyroid. They're still feeling like they're tired. They're not able to get relief from that. And they're still struggling with autoimmune issues. What are some tips that you would say to them of what the next step is for them if they've already gone to the doctor, they've gone to the test and they're not seeing results? Well, that's a great question. Back to candida. Guess what, folks? Candida impairs the conversion of T3 to T4 to T3. So the way that thyroid hormones work, you have TRH, which is the thyroid releasing hormone from the pituitary, which then signals TSH. And that's the number that generally gets gets um, reported on your blood work. And the big, the higher the number, the slower your thyroid is working. It's an inverse relationship. And that TSH then makes T3, but what we, excuse me, T4, but that T4, hey guys, we got to convert it. And so generally most pharmaceutical thyroid medication is T4 only. Well, if we have candida, it's blocking the channel of conversion. That's one. So it could be that candida is not helping you with your thyroid medicine because you're not converting. Two is estrogen and insulin and cortisol. Those three little things. I call it the three-legged stool of thyroid hell. Um, they block, if you're producing excess of any of them, they block thyroid hormones from crossing into the cell. So they're giving you more thyroid medication and more thyroid medication. And you feel like crap and you're tired and wired. Let's look at your insulin, your cortisol, and your estrogen and get those managed so they can step aside so then your thyroid hormone can go into your cell. That's mm -hmm. a big second thing. The big yeah, and I, will, I will, am a testimony to that. I actually personally was on a low dosage of Armour Thyroid for a while, and I still was so tired and tired and tired. I finally added T3 um, Cytomel to my routine, just at low dosage. And I don't take very much, yeah. um, but it has transformed how I feel. There you so go. And adding that T3, because my body wasn't converting T4 to T3 and it's made such a huge impact. So I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. And, and, and in your case, potentially what could be happening based on what you just shared with me, you have a lot of mold in your gut. Guess what candida is? It's a mold. Mm -hmm. And so you may have candida in your cut, disallowing that conversion. Mm. So isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, right, then, right. and then the other thing that we talk about, and I've done a lot of, I was on a thyroid documentary around Hashimoto's and I was considered one of the viral experts. Uh, and we know that studies out of, um, uh, out of other parts of the world, out of Europe, I believe it's Poland, look to Epstein-Barr which mm. is that virus that gives us mononucleosis being responsible for over 80% of Hashimoto's mm. autoimmune thyroiditis. And what we know is back to why is autoimmunity occurring? Well, most, I don't want to say most, but some of the experts in the field that I get to hang out with some of these really cool 
uh, thought leaders in uh, functional medicine and beyond believe that the body isn't inherently attacking itself in autoimmunity. It's too smart. It's attacking something that we can't see or don't understand. Mm. In a lot of cases, what we find is that a lot of women in particular, men can have Hashimoto's, but it's primarily uh, affects women more because we, we're more delicate because we've got more hormones, um, is that there, there will be a reactivation of a viral load. When you look at the blood work, IgG of Epstein-Barr will be through the roof. And so we've got to look at not giving more thyroid medication, but instead let's deactivate the virus just like we do a gene expression. Let's turn it down. And how do we turn it down? Well, we don't feed it. Well, how do we not feed viruses? Well, biofilm is contributory. Um, the wrong kind of proteins, the, the amyloid rich proteins in my practice, we have found empirically time and time again, ergo the wild vegetarian movement, where we're, we, we try to live as nature intended, eating low mycotoxic, low amyloid, and in many cases, low sulfur, low oxalate foods, so depending on what kind of wild type you are. And I've, I've assigned four archetypes for wild types. And so when you do that, we've had many, many a, a case where these individuals return to balance and the TPO, which is one of the markers of autoimmunity and Hashimoto's thyroiditis, rebalances. And I work with um, a, a wonderful doctor here in the DC area who's a thyroid expert. They send us so many of her patients uh, and they get better. And so again, thyroid medication is definitely helpful. And in particular, it may be critical to get yourself like up you know, get your boot bootstrapped up, but it's may not be the root. Why? We always get to the why in our practice. And we say the body is intelligent. If we ask it the right questions, it's going to give us truthful, correct, and answers that will then guide us down a path to help the body heal. Hey guys, I don't know about you, but if you are just feeling so tired throughout the day and just feeling restless at night, then I want you to try something called Energy Bits. Each package is has spirulina or chlorella algae. They're plant-based and they have zero sugar, 40 nutrients, five grams of protein. And so you are gonna feel great taking them. So go to energybits.com and then you'll get 20% off if you put the promo code Chantel. That's C-H-A-N-T-E-L. Mm, that is so good. Um, I, I know it's funny because everything you're saying, I'm just like, amen. She is so right on. Because I remember I had taken a blood test and it had showed one of the things that it's important because I had they had checked me for Epstein-Barr, but it had showed that I was healed, like it had been in my system and that my body had healed from it. And... Do you know what I'm talking about where it says like it was in your system so, or something so, like that? Yeah, what's really interesting, Chantal, and many doctors don't know this yet, but many of my functional friends are starting to say, hey, there's a smoking gun there. So IgG, we call it grandma. So that's an old exposure. IgM, which is the mom, it's a recent exposure. So you could have had IgG, which is an old exposure. But if that IgG is elevated, hey, guys, we better look at that. That means something's going on here. And so, and I was... <laughs> I, I, I have lived through a multiple viral attack myself that almost literally, it, it, I, was, I was very sick two and a half years ago and mine was brought on by stress. I, I was going through a life transition and I wasn't equipped to fully manage, fully manage the stress, which now I'm, I've learned so much. And again, you know, I always say there's things always happen for a reason, 
but I had multiple viruses literally light up in me like a Christmas tree. And I had uh, liver damage. I had lung inflammation, brain inflammation, and I had lost in complete neuropathy. I could, I couldn't lift a, I couldn't lift a mug and it caught, and I had impaired cognitive function. And initially I was misdiagnosed and misdiagnosed and we kept, I kept saying it's viral. And then when they finally, you know, we, we did the testing that sure enough it was. And, um, and it was a reactivation, but my numbers were in the 500s and now they're back in the twenties and in the tens. And so, and I'm, I'm back to being very healthy. So an old, an old, the grandma will call it IgG. If it's elevated, Hey guys, you better look further because it's not just an old, an old situation, it may be reactivating, playing, would I say, puppet mastering the body. Mm, I love that. And so what I just heard you say is, is that when it comes to Epstein-Barr issues, you have to look at how are you feeding that Epstein-Barr and you need to look at for you, what foods is kind of triggering that. Exactly. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And so, so let's say that someone's listening right now and they say, okay, yes, you know, a lot of these symptoms that you're talking about, this is exactly what I'm, I'm doing. So explain how the process works. So someone would call you and say, okay, I'm ready for you to take me on again. You can work with anyone all over the country. You can just get on with them on zoom or Skype. Walk us through what does that look like if someone wanted to work with you? Yes, and right now, actually, we're doing only virtuals because we're trying to be responsible citizens. Sure. Um, but we have seen people from all over the world, and we've we've worked with Hashimoto's from all over. And the you're world. in D.C., right? D.C., yes. And okay, can- I'm in Virginia Beach. I don't know if you knew that. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, once we get back to hopefully normal operating conditions, we invite you to come see us, of course, but we do see people virtually. And when we do see people virtually, we do ask if you're a new, if you're a new client to our practice that we have some sort of genetic analysis that we can, we just need raw data, then we run it through our own internal algorithm here in my naturopath. And I will look at it and we'll do, we'll do the analysis. And then what we do is we marry those, those genetic tendencies to your, to your symptoms. And then we have a we have a call, and actually it's really interesting, Chantal. I just recently did that with somebody out of the West Coast who happens to be a doctor, um, an orthopedic doctor, excuse me, um, orthodontist. And uh, within two months, her numbers had normalized from Hashimoto's. And actually, her husband wrote me a thank you. Uh, we never met her, but we 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 linked her genetic tendencies to her current state of health, and we were able to then through our Skype uh, appointments put her on a personalized plan. In her case, um, she needed to be wild and low sulfur and low mold, right? Again, that candida that trips up that conversion. And um, she's, she actually was so kind, not only did her husband reach out to me, but she's like, okay, I'm, I know I'm in this field of medicine, but how do I get to learn what you do? <laughs> so, you know, this is the thing that's so empowering because once you, once you know the truth and your body's like, oh my God, it did this and it did it this fast when I've been dealing with it for decades or, you know, years, I want to be a facilitator of this as well. And so mm-hmm. just like that 12 year old now 14 who has her own little Instagram and is, you know, talking the talk about wild food is the way to go because it's lower in amyloid. Um, I would say that's the way you get to us. So that we, we have helped people from everywhere. And in this particular case, she was just a recent case, but we've done many um, with Hashimoto's that, that had, has had similar, similar results. 
So talk about what is an amyloid and explain that to people. Okay. So, so this is really interesting. An amyloid, um, we, we make amyloids naturally within our homeostatic environment within our body. It's, a, it's an inflammatory response in the body, but then it, it, inflammation isn't always bad. It's when inflammation goes rogue that we're, we're in trouble, right? Just like the fight or flight, we're supposed to, oops, let's fight a little bit. Let's push that cortisol so we can you know, save our lives and then come back. But when cortisol becomes chronic, it's a problem. And so amyloids are truncated protein structures. That means they're indigestible. And what we have found through the clinical literature and then that has been borne out through the, I would say at this point, thousands of individuals that we have seen is that when we overfeed the body, these amyloids and the, the studies show that chicken, I call the dirty bird, uh, chicken tends to carry the highest amyloid count. It tends to create a tripping mechanism for the body to potentially move into an autoimmune state. Now, is everyone that eats chicken going to be have an autoimmune disease? No. But what we're saying is, and especially in this environment where we're trying to keep our bodies healthy for the long term to look at sustainable health in the environment where there's so much, there's so much uncertainty for all of us these days, is that we don't want to feed the body something that it has to work so hard to break down or doesn't understand and it's gonna start attacking itself, right? So when we, what we have found is when we enter a low amyloid perspective and what do we find? The wild game, there go my book, The Wild Atarian Diet. The subtitle is Living as Nature Intended. When we live as nature intended and we're not eating these domesticated animals, these farm-raised animals that have been crowded and the study shows it's the crowding conditions that create these amyloids in their tissue, which then we can't break down, which then potentially pings pathogenic loads in our body that then puppet masters the body into what can result in an autoimmune condition. Let's make it easy on ourselves. And I will tell you with my, with my multiple viral load, I had EBV, Epstein-Barr, CMV, cytomegaly, I had parvovirus, I, that's from a dog. When the heck did I get parvovirus? I had varicella zoster, I had HSV-1. I had all these viruses. How did I get better? I actually employed my wilditarian methods and I stopped mycotoxins and honestly, the antibiotics didn't touch me, the IVs didn't touch me, but going wilditarian and being low mycotoxic really, really brought me back. It brought me back from a very serious situation. So let's talk about what are foods that you eat? So what are things that you eat now? Okay, so I'm a, I'm a delicate flower genetically. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to tell you this. I have to tell you this. So there's a book that's that is out. And I, I think it's like, it's talking about kids and it's saying like, are you a dandelion or an orchid? And it's all about kids. And it's saying like some kids are dandelions, right? Like they just can flourish no matter what. And then there's some kids that are orchids there. You know, you got to have the right temperature. You've got to have the right thing. And I was thinking we need to, that that's kind of like humans, right? Like that is, you know, exactly how we are. Some of us are dandelions. Some of us are orchids. I'm clearly an orchid and I have orchids all over. I'm an orchid. I'm an orchid. <laughs> and I have, it's funny because my whole office, you don't see it now. My whole office, I love orchids. I have them all over my office. I do the same. I have at least five different varieties. <laughs> 
Um, so, so what do I eat? So back to the question of what do I eat? Well, I feel like I am a foodie. I don't feel deprived. I love my food. Um, I start every morning with a green juice because it's really liver detoxifying. And I like cilantro and chlorella because I have those oxalate sulfur issues. I add a little bit of collagen to it. And then I usually in the morning, I will do either some, I'll do a hemp seed uh, protein with that papaya and avocado. And if I want, I'll add some berries in there, but I'm really loving papaya these days. And it's just that everything that we talked about earlier, just a beautiful, beautiful, rich fruit fruit that you can actually even throw the seeds into the smoothie and it really helps manage blood sugar. Yes, actually, I've been reading all about how um, the the seeds that are in the papaya are so good for getting rid of parasites. So if you have any parasites, just throw those seeds in. I'm like, I could be a spokesperson right now for papaya. I'm so big on it. Go girl, I love it. You know, and it's, it's what part of the wildetarian way is nothing is wasted, right? So don't throw away those seeds. Um, those are really good, you know, or I'll have, I'll have, um, an egg white omelet. Now I'm saying in this high viral environment, eggs tend to be a little viral. So don't do too many eggs or I'll do an avocado and tomato with, um, on a Sammy's millet flax bagel. I love Sammy's. Oh my gosh. I have that. Their millet and flax is my favorite thing. I order directly from Sammy's bakery. It's my absolute favorite. I feel like you're my new best friend. Oh my gosh. So, you know, those are really, those are fabulous. Um, or I'll put a little bit of salmon that's not smoked incorrectly, but the happy smoked salmon that doesn't contain the nitrates or the sulfates because I'm also sensitive to it. For lunch, I'll generally have what I've had the night before, right? Um, I had earlier this week, I had shrimp with fresh tomatoes and I did a, I did a papaya avocado salad and cilantro salad. It was incredible. I had... Um, I did crab cakes the other night that I, I did over a bed of, of greens. And then I just sprinkled some, some uh, fresh, some artichoke hearts and then some sunflower seeds. And then I'll do, I'll do any kind of fish. I love shellfish. And then my lamb, um, I had lamb chops. Um, I had lamb chops the night before. What did I have it with? Oh, I had it with a homemade soup that I made, which had all those beautiful squash vegetables and, and brown rice quinoa pasta and some white cannellini beans. Mm. Um, and I just, I love, I love food. I don't feel deprived at all. I just, I navigate my navigate. My that's brain. the right word. You know, I really navigate it. And last night, my son is so great. He's living with me. He made me a papaya. He made me a papaya ice cream smoothie. Mm. This ice cream was made with coconut ice cream that only has two grams of sugar. How yummy is that? Did I feel deprived? Mm. Heck no. It was I awesome. I love it. Well, we're out of time. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. Of course. Well, terrycochran.com, T-E-R-I-C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E.com. I believe, first and foremost, Chantel, I'm an educator, and I'm all about giving out some really good information and truth. And my website is a plethora of, of information through our blogs and all the recipes. Also, my book, The Wildetarian Diet, Living as Nature Intended, is out on Amazon. And in my website, you can obviously book a consult with us, but I have the Heal and Seal program, which is the adjunct to the Wildetarian Diet. It's a 45-day uh, restart and then a maintenance program based on your wild type. And then we've got some um, smaller programs, a, a kickstart detox and so forth. But we're there. We're here to support a new truth that the right, wrong foods may be really hurting you. 
Yeah, love it. Well, you're brilliant. I've really enjoyed our time together today. Thanks so much. And you guys stay tuned. We have another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.